so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. This week on the AW360 podcast, we speak with Gordon Zellner, CEO of Evergreen Trading. When most people think of media investment, either retail inventory or excess real estate come to mind. But that's just scraping the surface of the possibilities. Gordon walks me through Evergreen Trading's unique position as a specialized media investment firm. I hope you enjoy this episode. Gordon Zellner, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm pleased to have you on today. Thank you, Richard. Nice to be on. So you're CEO of Evergreen Trading. Tell me, what does Evergreen Trading do? Uh, Evergreen Trading actually provides two services, um, and one is to the media community, and one is to our client community. And we marry those two efforts together into a very interesting business relationship. Um, The service we provide to the media community, as you indicated in your introduction, is a media investment service where we actually use our own money to help the media community solve challenges and problems they have. And we make investments in their product, in their business, and we help them solve disruptions that they have. And by doing so, we end up taking positions in their inventory and in their product and becoming an owner of their product, which is atypical because most of the way media is bought and sold is through brokers and the broker never actually takes their own ownership. They work on behalf of a client. On the other side of the equation, we work with our client community and we provide very innovative financial solutions to all kinds of fun and creative asset problems that they have. And when you pull the two together, we define ourselves as the barter industry. What could be more fun than to be in the barter industry? Absolutely. Can you give me an example? And it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, naming names or anything of the sort, but Mm -hmm. just kind of walk me through how that process works. Um, I'll give you a real simple example. You have a, a local television station in Detroit and they're running their business. Um, Everything's fine. And then the news truck that they use to do their local newscasts has a problem and it's completely, it's, you know, has an accident or something. And that news truck is completely demolished. Now they're stuck. They have to buy a new news truck. This is an unbudgeted, unanticipated expense that they have. $250,000. Well, they could reach into their own pocket and do it, which hurts their P&L. They could go to a bank and they could borrow the money, which they probably won't want to do, or they could turn to us. What we do is we actually fund those types of circumstances, among many others. And in return, rather than paying us back $250,000 in cash, they make available to us $500,000 of media that they run, commercial inventory that they run over the next 18 months 
that we can use with our clients who have their own advertising needs and want to advertise in Detroit on that particular local station. Fascinating. And so then the next step in that then would be to go to these partners or brands and then offer that to them. Is that correct? Yes. On the other side of the relationship, we have all kinds of clients from large retailers to technology companies, communication companies, uh, CPG companies, and they all have different kinds of assets that they have problems with. It could be excess inventory. You know, they made 100,000 cases of the red ones and nobody bought the red ones. Everybody bought the blue ones. So <laughs> we're stuck with the red ones. Um, they have production equipment. They put in a new assembly line, manufacturing line, and they have the equipment from the old line that they don't need anymore. It could be warehouses or real estate. We've had some really creative ones. We actually did a corporate artwork collection for one of our clients who had accumulated art and uh, decided it wasn't good to be displaying $20,000 pieces of art in, in their corporate offices. And <laughs> they, they put it away. So they needed to get rid of that. Um, we did a program with a company where we bought three corporate jets from them because they wanted to move faster in getting rid of their jets than the marketplace was willing to absorb those jets at a fair price at the price that they were searching for. So we do a transaction where we help our clients get the financial result that they need on the assets from inventories to computers to corporate jets. And in return, we're able to um, uh, there our payment to them is in the form of media or those you know, the, the media positions that we created in the first example. And we bring the two together and act as a middleman, um, making sure that all the values and all the quality requirements are met. And essentially, we allow a client to trade an, a jet for media time, which is where the concept of bartering comes into play. So it sounds like you're pretty much crossing the entire spectrum of company size or media size. You mentioned earlier the local TV news truck all the way up to corporate jets. Is, is that accurate? I mean, are you really going across the full spectrum of size of media entities? Yeah, we, we are. And, it, and what's interesting is it, it kind of harkens back a little bit to the history of the industry. And one of the things that I have always enjoyed when I first got introduced to this and is made me passionate about the industry is it's got some very simplistic historic roots. And in the, the, the golden age or the heyday of media when it was really first um, launching in the, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, when TV and radio was really taking off and, um, and becoming a, a, a national phenomenon and everybody was buying TVs and, uh, and listening to their radios, there was a lot of trading that went on at a more local level and done more directly. So think of the local car dealership who wants to advertise and think of the local TV station who needs a car for his sales reps. And they would get together and the car dealership would give the car to the local TV station who would give it to their sales reps. And in return, the local TV station would run advertising for the car dealership. 
these kinds of relationships sprung up you know, extensively. And quite frankly, where we are you know, 50 years later, it's the same basic premise. It's the same underlying value and principles. Media has gotten way more complex and, um, and client requirements have definitely uh, increased in their complexity. And so middlemen, companies like myself, have played the role of facilitating these types of transactions and these types of trades. And that has made the scale significantly larger than the one-offs of a, of a single station doing something with a particular local vendor. Um, and so to your point, there are one-offs that still exist in certain marketplaces and in certain circumstances. And then there are very large corporate relationships that you know exist to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So uh, we, we estimate that the total business is probably in the four to five billion dollars. Um, it's probably about ten, maybe fifteen percent of the the media ecosystem. Um, but there's definitely scale that has been established because new entities have filled that middleman role to facilitate and simplify the process for clients and for media vendors. And do you see particular types of brands benefiting from this more than others? And if so, what types of brands would those be? Um, that's a great question. I, I don't really see it being more beneficial or less beneficial um, from a brand standpoint. It really is from a business, a business model or a type of business. Um, manufacturers have lots of assets. They have real estate, they have equipment, and obviously they manufacture, so they create inventory. So in those cases, there's a lot of uh, asset need as their assets turn over or become redundant or become less valuable or become excess. So there's a greater need um, for them to do things with their assets, as long as they have a corresponding media budget, then they can benefit, you know, and they, and historically that is the area where a lot of trading has taken place, but it's no less beneficial to an insurance company who happens, doesn't have physical inventory, doesn't really have physical assets other than people and computers and you know IT um, and, and real estate. But those assets, while there may not be as many of them, they're just as fertile as a tradable asset um, in our transaction. Again, as long as they have the advertising need to go along with it. And as we all know, the insurance industry does a, a boatload of, of advertising. So it, it really is just identifying what asset can be the catalyst for this kind of barter or trade transaction. Um, and as long as they have a corresponding media buy or, or media uh, need, then, uh, then it can be, the details can be worked out and the execution can follow. Now, do you see a certain amount of doing good through this? You know, for example, you know, companies more and more, a lot of brands are looking to really expand their presence in terms of, you know, social good and, and things of that nature. And it would seem like 
you know, goods and services or, you know, barter in, in that direction would be kind of a no brainer when it comes to that. Is that something you're seeing more of these days or no? Um, I, I would say yes and no. I mean, it's very situationally specific, mm -hmm. um, but we, we do have the opportunity. Um, so we did a very large uh, transaction with a telecommunications, you know, one of, one of the very dominant telecommunication uh, companies. And it was for an excess of, of PPE. So this is very pandemic related, but they had purchased more PPE than they needed or were gonna be able to use during the period of time that the PPE was viable. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, hand sanitizers and things like that are alcohol-based and alcohol does break down over time. So the, the efficiency or the effectiveness does deteriorate over time. We were able to purchase a large quantity of it and we redirected quite a bit of it into donation and into charitable um, channels. So we didn't sell um, a lot of it. We actually were able to repurpose it along the lines of what you're referring to, which was from a, a societal standard standpoint, it was very beneficial and very helpful to, you know, let's just say the world at large who was looking for PPE and was benefiting from the availability of sanitizers and masks and things like that, especially during the, the last couple of years. So there, there are opportunities for that, um, but there also are just kind of the garden variety. We, we buy things, we resell them on a secondary market and the transaction continues over into the media uh, side of it. So, um, I guess a little bit of what you're saying, uh, I, I, we definitely have uh, experienced. Oh, for sure. And if I'm one of your partners, just so I can wrap my head around how all of this, this works, if I come to you, am I like going to a website and seeing what's available or is it more of a one-on-one -on -one type of thing where I come to you and say, hey, do you have any Super Bowl spots? <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that sort of a yeah. thing. How, how does yeah. it really, how does that aspect of it work? No, that, that's a great question. Um, it is because we act as a, a middleman between two different entities, we do have a very hands-on personalized approach to how we interact with both sides of our relationships. Um, so we don't have a, sort of an exchange or a website where you know, we put all of our opportunities up there and people can come and let's just say shop. Um, it's not really, let's just say a, a swap or a, a, a you know, garage sale type thing. Um, it's more about us establishing relationships with companies. Uh, either they reach out to us or we reach out to them. They have a catalyst or a reason, a problem that they're trying to solve. And we have a discussion with them about the nuances of the problem, the financial objectives of the problem and the timing by which they're trying to resolve whatever the problem may be. And then we go through, once we understand the problem, then there's a due diligence process around making sure that our payment, which is in the form of media, is a form of payment that they can one, accept, two, they can use, and three, it's gonna meet all of their qualitative and quantitative requirements in the delivery of that payment or that media time. We're, we're not, 
giving them 3 a.m. commercials and we're not, you know, picking up <laughs> remnant remnant media time and saying, hey, great, here's a here's a commercial. And they're saying, well, that's great, but I don't have a store in Chicago. So uh, a TV spot in Chicago is irrelevant to me. So it's very customized to the specifics of each client need and uh, and the media requirements as well. So because of that, it tends to be more hands-on, one-to-one. You know, we have a team of people who obviously field these conversations and uh, and help sort of customize the uh, the, the ultimate relationship that uh, delivers the value to the client. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, not that I have a, a corporate jet you know, anywhere near me at the moment. And I, I honestly, I'd probably keep it if I did, though I couldn't afford the fuel. Um, what inspired you to start Evergreen Trading and, and how long has Evergreen Trading been around? Well, the easy question, uh, Evergreen Trading has been around since 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in our 13th year. Um, what inspired me was uh, I had a career in marketing and I had used these types of services successfully in my career. And I just really got passionate about the creativity and the fact that it's, it's not business as usual. We are um, dealing with a lot of business concepts, but we're applying them in a very creative fashion. And we're connecting parts of organizations that don't normally get connected. So the, the person who has the piece of real estate that they want to sell off, and that's probably being handled by the real estate department or by somebody in the corporate office or the corporate staff, um, if they don't have a specific real estate department. Well, he's trying to get rid of a building. It's on his books for $5 million, and the best offer is $3 million. Well, he's got a problem. Yeah. Well, we give him a solution, but it does require him to bring his media and marketing people also into the mix. And sometimes they don't even know each other. So (laughs) we really enjoy bringing the different groups together and showing how there could be a win-win-win by sewing together different elements. Um, So I got motivated to start Evergreen because I was benefited from the transaction and the business model early in my career. And then when the appropriate time came for me to, quite frankly, do it myself and uh, um, and kind of start with a blank piece of paper, I did. And we've had a lot of success um, over the years and uh, are pretty proud of the client base we have. And, and more important, the, the customized nature, which leads to very high customer satisfaction. And, and we really were not a high volume business. We don't create, you know, 2 million widgets every year, mm-hmm. but the ones we do create are very high quality and, and deliver the value and they're measurable and repeatable. And so we have our clients relationships for a long time. Oh, it's fascinating. Really fascinating. I mean, it just feels like a lot of really creative problem solving just goes into each and every aspect of your day and each and every partner. That's that's uh, truly amazing. It reminds me of something I hadn't thought of in forever. My my grandfather ran a business that eventually my dad took over, and I remember, um, you know, them making deals with, you know, people, uh, you know, like the Yellow Pages guy would come by, and you know, he would say, you know, hey, do you want an ad? And they're, you know, we don't want to pay for an ad, but you know, we'll 
you know, provide a service for you. And, you know, that that happened all the time. I hadn't really thought about that in so long. I guess I just never realized that it could also be applied to stuff like this. This is truly fascinating. Gordon, I really appreciate you being on today. Where can people find out more about you and Evergreen? Well, we uh, we have a website, which is probably the, the greatest, the first place that most people start these days. So we are at evergreentrading.com. And uh, I would encourage everyone to check out our website and uh, and learn about the possibilities that exist in the world of perishable inventories and hard costs versus soft costs and uh, and media execution. So uh, that's a great place to start. And there's additional contact information on the website. And uh, Richard, it's been great talking to you. And I, uh, I, you know, your grandfather was in the barter business. You just didn't know it. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to take things like that and apply them to sort of the modern age and realize that it's still going on. I yeah, I really hadn't thought about that in about decades at this point. But you know, Gordon, I really appreciate you being on. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. You were welcome. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, or to learn about Advertising Week's best-in-class events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, Businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.